Welcome to Craft Advice, a podcast to help investors tackle the more complex area of their personal and business finances. Join Jack and Sean as we discuss everything from investing to retirement and everything in between. But yeah, that the plague that was FTX continues to continues to shake the markets. Block five. Well, what's what's so funny is it's with this whole crypto space. I remember all last year I was getting hit up by companies that were like, we need you to start recommending crypto to your clients. <laughs> it's like, what is all this yeah. stuff? And every company's coming out of the woodwork. And a lot of companies were partnering with Gemini. A lot of people in the advisory space were partnering with mm-hmm. Gemini mm-hmm. <clears throat> to launch custody options for advisors to then sell to their clients. So I remember when we looked at this maybe year, year and a half ago, we started getting stuck on E&O. You know, does yep. your air and emission insurance actually yep. cover this? And then fast yep. forward now and Gemini, I think they have like a billion five that they owe to, to just even stay afloat. BlockFi just wrapped it up, said they're doing chapter 11. So this is almost like just watching a car accident in slow motion. It's like you don't know how many other people touch this. But yeah, man. I bet a lot of advisors are completely screwed if they really went heavy into this because this is it's very hard to recommend this stuff to clients, especially when you can't get the insurance wrapper on it to affect yourself. Yeah. I mean, it's it's tough to do that because you can't it's not easy to 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 charge on it, right? And a lot of times advisors just they it's easier for us. You know, people in our space, the you know, assets are here. We see them, we know them, we can charge them, we can bill on them. It's easy. Things that are held away at other firms or other services, right, that we can't really see, it's kind of hard to recommend or, right, in, integrate that. Uh, um, and that's why there was all those platforms popping up, like, hey, we store it on this, plug you in, everything's easy, you can manage it, you can do this and that. Um, but, I mean... FTX showed, unfortunately, that there's still within that space, there's that management, that third party risk, right? That management risk, that misallocation. I mean, what they did was nothing new. I mean, right? It's all just, I was reading this article and it was basically a lot of the same stuff Enron did, a lot of the same stuff all these companies that have big implosions have done. It's just poor controls in place, poor, um, you know, poor discipline loaning themselves money so i mean like they were literally loaning themselves money using their own money as iou so mm-hmm. ftt their their native currency which is only valuable because of the perception of the liquidity that their exchange can provide these are the and ious from dumb and dumber it literally we were joking about it last time these are literally the ious from dumb and dumber and it's like hey you want to hold on to that one that's going to be worth that's going to be worth something one day but they literally had all these ious in a bank or in an, in an account, and that's what they use as, as collateral, yeah. and then loan themselves real money. I mean, what, he gave his parents, or he loaned his parents, or he gave his parents, what, $170 million or something? He took out, they took out $200 million almost right before bankruptcy, yep. donated $70 million right before they declared bankruptcy to the, to the uh, what was it, the Democratic uh, National Committee or something? Yeah. Um, I mean, it's pretty, it's pretty wild. Yeah. And he was just, it almost seems like at the end, he knew that things were happening and he was almost like, let's get as much cash out of this thing before we all die. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, it's nuts, man. What is 
blowing well, my hold mind. Hold on, let's that... welcome everybody back because I think okay. we should probably go into yeah. crypto in the beginning yeah. of this. But welcome everyone back SPF to Craft Advice. We apologize. We don't really have a good schedule going on with this thing. We're just kind of we're doing it when the we holidays, can do it. Jack. It is the holidays, yeah. So <clears throat> little little too much turkey set us back a couple of days, but let's get That's I want to I want to let you finish your point on crypto and then I want to bring I finally heard a bullish argument. A lot of people that listen know like Jack's kind of been captain uh, rain on the parade with the whole crypto industry and I might have finally yeah. heard the most bullish art of argument for crypto, like an actual use case for some of this crap. But do you want to finish whatever point you had? I just want to welcome everybody back. Craft Advice. Obviously, again, sorry we uh, were going for so long. Uh, but yeah, today we're going to get into FTX a lot, um, just the crypto space, the contagion, what's going on out there, what our point of view is, um, respectively, and then... Uh, We'll talk about some other current event topics that are plaguing the markets right now. We're getting some good information out of the Fed uh, in terms of the pace of rate increases. So that's some good news for everybody out there. Markets responding very well. Um, and then we'll touch on some of the other economic data that unfortunately does not look good at the moment. Um, but uh, depending on how the Fed continues to respond to the economic data, um, I think that's going to really be the, the driving force behind how these economic figures uh, continue to evolve. But um, on that note, what are you drinking, Jack? Just high lie. Easy. Nice little high lie. Always high lie. I mean, it's it's like the uh, it's like the Bud Light of IPAs in Tampa. Yeah. In, only in Tampa. It's like the it's the staple IPA in Tampa. That's very true. That's how I mean it's it's an easy go-to thing. It's distributed everywhere. It's like MasterCard so in our on area. Bar, it's on every tap. Yeah. Or is it Great. Visa everywhere you want to be? Everywhere you want to be. It's Visa. Yeah. All right. What do you got? Got a little Southern Swells. My boys over there across the street here. We got a little Mind Boss's Boss. A little double IPA. Very solid. Whew, love that noise. Yep. All right. Anyways, back to my point. All I was saying is that essentially – a lot of people were storing money because, again, they had three different business lines, right? They had the exchange where people buy and sell crypto. They had the investment arm, right, where people are – or they had, they had a, I'm sorry, a VC investment arm where they were looking at other crypto projects that they were loaning money to and they were buying shares in. Um, and then they had the trading hedge fund arm that was basically the thing that really screwed because that's the thing that took on way too much leverage, had terrible tra trading returns, made a bunch of bad mistakes – and basically just covered it all up with, you know, Ponzi scheme customer new money and fudged the uh, the numbers to make it look like their returns were still great. Uh, so, again, it's not anything that's reinvented. If anything, it's wild that it got away for this long, considering that crypto is such a uh, an easily traceable thing um, in terms of you can follow you can follow the money fairly easily. And it's hard to. Um, again, and if, unless you're not looking for it, right, you still need yep. people to look for it. And that's kind of what happened. There's everybody took a lot of things on faith and there wasn't proper due diligence and there wasn't proper checks in place to double, you know, make sure these <clears> things <throat> weren't getting commingled. And that's really what it was, right? So it's not crypto. It's not the technology. It's not the space. It's unfortunately the lack of a, a you know, a matured, properly run company. And then nobody <laughs> at the top, you know, yeah. to look into it. Yeah, it's, it's wild. Yeah. Right, go ahead. You were saying you got an incredible use case. You finally maybe be turning the page on this. 
and we're going to be bringing you into the fold. I love it. Crypto Jack, go take it away. The tinfoil is fully secured. <laughs> um, no, so uh, over the Thanksgiving break, Bill Ackman, big hedge fund manager, he's yep. very well known for just taking like super aggressive bets into you know companies. So he was the one that went full bore into Chipotle as soon as they were like killing people with the uh, bacteria stuff. But he had a long thread on Twitter he put out talking about <clears throat> he thinks this whole thing with crypto being used for speculating on the value of tokens is a waste of time. And the flip side is the structure. So the, you know, if you kind of, if you pull the appreciation out of it entirely, so they don't go up in value, they're worth whatever a dollar. And the only time they reprice is when there's a valuation for the business. He's trying to make the case that you can start to use crypto blockchain and, and some of these tokens as a useful technology for business formation. So part of the tweet thread, and you can go on Twitter and look up Bill Ackman, it's, it's pinned on the top, but he's basically talking about crypto could be a strong replacement for the stock option industry for the fact that a lot of okay. people that are stock options, there's a lot of restrictions to how they grant the options to individuals. So depending on department they're in, depending on region, you know, if you're in the headquarters versus you're in a subsidiary that's broad, there's not one, a lot of liquidity, but there's not also a lot of ways to get access to this. And we even see this with clients. We've worked cases where clients have had stock options that completely screwed them. They're all in the benefit of the company. And so the individual really can't participate in the benefit of the business. But he went through a whole long point saying, you know, you could technically reuse this. He used the example of helium, even though he said helium is kind of just a dumpster fire with, you know, but the concept is right. You know, you're, you're decentralizing the workforce, giving them a version, if you would, of stock options, and you're incentivizing them to go. It's just, everyone gets stuck chasing the appreciation. And then once the appreciation's there, you have all the investors trying to pump and dump and that kind of is, is breaking the whole system. Mm -hmm. But it was very, very interesting. Mm -hmm. And I thought, you know, never really compared it to a specific product, but in stock options mm -hmm. are a financial mm -hmm. product. So I thought it was interesting to sure. potentially rework it with something like crypto. Yeah, no, I mean, that's that's what, um, I mean, that's what those DAOs are going to be a lot, I mean, a lot of those, I mean, that's that's an example of how a DAO would be, could be structured to use for stock options, where it's just a decentralized organizational <clears throat> execution that takes place based on a set of rules. Um, that's what, I mean, there's a lot of use cases for the technology itself. I mean, those DAOs that get set up for, say, execution or transmissibility of stock options can replace many types of legal documents or legal structures if done properly. Um because again, a lot of that stuff is, it's formalities, it's, it's, it can, it, it's essentially it's redundancies that can be eliminated. And that's a lot of what they're able to do with how they structure those. Um, but I mean, yeah, I think, I think today is, is you're going to look back and be like, this was an incredible mm -hmm. time to buy. Um, but at the same time, like we talked about for customers earlier in the call or earlier in the, in the, um, you know, <clears throat> earlier in the podcast, the, the amount that you keep or or that a client has is is always relative to their comfort level with risk, their liquidity, their financial situation. All these things matter, right? You can definitely say, hey, this customer has enough liquidity. They're extremely comfortable with risk and they are comfortable knowing that, hey, this is a very nascent, very risky, tip of the spear type asset class 
that can have some very outsized returns, but obviously you can lose it all. all. It could go to zero and you can get FTX. You can get FTX right in the B-hole. Well, that, that I think is the biggest thing is everyone thought, okay, there's this ledger, this blockchain transaction one, here's corresponding transaction two. And lo and behold, on the back end, someone's just going out and just pulling out the cash. So it, it I think the good thing is this is going to put a lot of scrutiny into the smaller startup providers. I think this is, if you're a company like Fidelity or Schwab or a lot of the Wall Street yep. banks that have been dabbling in this for months, yep. they're probably looking at this saying, you know, oh, none so of these happy. institutions so- knew, they knew, never knew any of the, you know, KYC, AML. All you know, the stuff went, that these guys got wrong, we're incredible at that stuff. Yeah, this is all we do with the rest of our business. <laughs> so yeah. I I think you're still going to see this stuff. It's not going to go away. People still use it as no. a way to diversify their investment portfolios. Just the landscape of- It's all in proportion. It. It's all in proportion, right? I mean, it's whether that's, I think my opinion is that everybody should own more than zero. Yeah. Right? There's 100%, there's 0%, there's something in the middle. I think everybody should be off of zero, um, whether that's a half a percent, one percent, or whatever. Um, I think everybody should be off of zero. For if nothing else, it's an inexpensive way to hedge and say, hey, this is an extremely you know, explosive, transformative type of technology that I would like to participate in some of that future benefit, future growth. And there's different ways to do it. We've talked about it here, you know, buying Bitcoin directly, buying in the miners, buying in the, you know, the the kind of the picks and shovels like Coinbase, et cetera. Um, but again, then you come down to the normal risks of any type of company that you invest in management, compliance, you know, risk, right? Are the books accurate? Are they stealing money out of the back? Door? I mean, they, those are risks for any company. Um, but this was a very fast moving industry and uh, there was a lot, a lot of excitement, a lot of a lot of capital that was being tossed around. And uh, I think some of the people, like you said, just kind of assumed, oh, debits, credits, ledgers, everything. But Bitcoin kind of almost self-regulates uh, itself. You know, there, it, it almost felt like that was the belief for a little while, that you can't really fudge the numbers because of the ledger. But it wasn't the ledger that was being fudged. It was the company's books that were being fudged. And that extremely important piece seemed to be uh, overlooked by way too many people. Um but yeah, no, to your point, all the big guys, the Morgan Stanleys, the uh, the BNY Mellons, I mean, BNY Mellons building out rails for it right now. Um, Fidelity is going all in on this thing. I mean, Fidelity is putting, they're rolling out commission-free Bitcoin, Bitcoin trading. Yeah, yeah. I mean, everyone's going to try to create an on-ramp to it for those that want it. Yeah. And, and it's, it's, it's not, so if you run your company, right, I mean, if you have a, I mean, if you know, hate to beat their drum too much, but fidelity, right? I mean, compliance is something that they're probably better at than anybody in the world. I mean, primarily because there's so much compliance involved with 401ks, but there's so much compliance involved with 401ks, which they own, they have the, they own the market 401ks. So they are so ingrained in Washington and compliance and how all this stuff works and the KYC stuff. It's a very smooth transition for them to get rid of all the ugly stuff of crypto, of Bitcoin, and provide a really secure, smooth on-ramp. But again, the the general, the true, and I and again, I think they're going to be the on-ramp for the average retail person, everybody else out there. The true crypto space is never going to be, you know, buying crypto from yeah. buying Bitcoin or any other type of crypto from Fidelity. But but it, I think it's going to be a great on-ramp for everybody else. Yeah. Full disclosure, I signed up for Fidelity's little crypto thing. 
<laughs> so for all the people uh, I was telling not to do it, I did it. I want again, part of me is testing it. I want to see what it's like. But anyways, let's get yeah. to Jerome Powell. We've we've talked about for months Pink. now. Yeah. Inflation ticking down is what's going to turn the market around. Right now, Nasdaq's up four, S&P's up just shy of three, two, seven. Dow's up a, a little under yep. two. All in the news, Jerome Powell signals Fed prepared to slow rate rise pace. Um, Fed chair says labor market slowdown will need to bring will be needed to bring inflation back to central banks 2% target. The main thing from this whole conversation is he was alluding that 75 basis points is probably not going to happen, which means he's just slowing the rate hikes. We've talked multiple times, probably got to stop this to kind of really get asset prices rising. But this is a good and a bad thing. Good thing is he's saying, hey, inflation is probably going to start to come down. The bad thing is he's very certain employment's too hot. <laughs> so unfortunately, they're going to keep God. the foot on the gas pedal until there's continued more layoffs, which... I don't know if you're going to see a, a smoking hot. So maddening. It's so it's so counterintuitive. It so that as bad as things seem, the yeah. labor market's on fire. It's literally there's a lot of there's a lot of interesting ways that they measure things to make the labor market seem more on fire necessarily than it is. But, but I would still say that what's most frustrating about this entire thing is that he kept his foot on the gas, supposedly. This is this is these are his words. He kept his foot on the gas because they really wanted to make sure that they squeezed, they got as many historically underemployed pockets of the economy employed as possible. And so you saw certain areas where employment was really or uh, unemployment was very sticky post COVID. Um, minority communities, um, you know. Male females, right? The, the the female population wasn't coming back faster as fast as the male population, uh, so there was there were some disparities there, and so their objective was part of their objective was to continue to bring unemployment down and employment up for basically every single bucket of the community or every single bucket of the population, I guess. And even though he, you know, there was indications that hey, there's no reason to continue to have QE and zero rates when the economy was doing as well as it was, right? We don't necessarily need to go up to 6%, you know, Fed funds and, you know, QT so fast like they did, but we don't need to be pouring gas onto this fly, this fire with inflation running at five, six, 7%. And we're still doing QT. I mean, we were doing QE, sorry, Q, QE, not QT. We were doing quantitative easing, pumping liquidity into the system with 7%, 8% inflation. We were still doing quantitative easing. We were yep. still doing quantitative easing with 0% rates with seven and a half, eight percent inflation. It's wild. Yeah. And he did that. And he did that intentionally. And now he's like, well, I know the housing market's basically collapsing. I know uh autos are collapsing and all these other things are clapping, but we haven't seen enough layoffs yet. So I think we're just gonna keep raising rates. Yeah, we're so, gonna dude, what the hell are you talking about? Every single day, it's like oh, 1,200 people laid off here, five thousand people laid off here, ten thousand people laid off here. Like it's it's happening. Like the, the the lag that the data provides and the, the decisions that they're making today are so disconnected. It's just, it's maddening. Yeah. All yeah. they're doing is looking at old data and not, you know, not active live data. Like if you look at rental rates, uh, I was, I was watching, I was watching an interview on CBC last week. I believe it was, I'm trying to remember the guy's name, but it was, uh, 
big, big real estate uh, investment firm, hedge fund. Um, and, and so they were basically like rental rates in all the major uh, metro areas are basically falling off a cliff. And they believe essentially that inflation is going to fall off a cliff in the next three months. They were saying something kind of in this three to four month range because of the way that the, the lag works is that everything is just falling off a cliff with, with rental rates. And that's a very, very large component housing uh, in terms of the CPI numbers. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so their, their, their outlook was that we're most likely going to see something in that three to 4% range starting sometime mid next year. And then it's going to be tough after that because supply chain issues and all the other unfortunate items that are going on in the, uh, in the system right now. Yeah. Actually, by the way, if I just saw a wall street journal thing, investors withdrew $20 billion from crypto funds in November alone. Grayscale, mm. CoinShares International, and others saw a combined $19.6 in outflows. Money is scared. Be fearful when others are uh, greedy. Be greedy when others are scared, right? Or fearful. However something like that. Point yeah. is, something like that. You get it. Point is, is, when everyone's selling, it's probably time to at least consider. I mean, the main, the main thing I would emphasize, though, and if you just look at the market today, the market is ripping on this news. With Powell, you know, you're seeing companies like Netflix up 9%. They're also, Reed Hastings is talking at the DealBook conference. So that's part I mean, that's of it. That's the Chipotle of, of, of this this cycle, man. Oh, my Lord. Yeah, they're poisoning people with their content. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> um, oh, man. What's that What's that rebound? What's What What, what have they done off the lows? It's up around 45%. Down. No, 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 no. Let's take a look here. Are you talking about Chipotle or are you talking about Netflix? No, yeah, Netflix. I'm sorry. Yeah. 162. So they've uh they've nearly doubled. They're up almost hundred percent from the implosion that happened earlier in the year. Netflix? Yep. Looking at them right now. NFLX, baby. You're trading hmm. at 305, 75 right now. 52 week low is 162.71. Hmm. And that was remember, that was after that was after that Q1, Q2. Whatever, uh, oh yeah, that was that intraday. Just had this, the the subscription, yeah, that intraday subscription numbers just fell off a cliff, and they're like, oh, you know, everybody was Netflix is dead, Disney's taken over, blah blah. Man, how the tables have turned. Yeah, Netflix so. has doubled in share price, and ne until uh, the the recent CEO shakeup, I mean, Disney was falling off a cliff themselves. Well, let's let's wrap up on that concept, but <clears throat> Disney ousted their CEO. Brought back Bob Iger. For those that don't know Bob Iger, he's the sole reason for Marvel, Star Wars. He's basically the guy that bought the software system that connected cool them to, to Disney+. Plus. He's got yeah. a pretty damn good reputation. He's responsible for streaming. He's responsible for, uh, I mean, he's, he's technically he's also responsible for the ESPN deal, right? Yeah. He's responsible for Hulu deal. He did all those things. I mean, and during his tenure, every great decision that Disney's done in the last 20 years was Bob Iger's. Yeah. And then but, shape it came in and uh, didn't fare so well. I was going to say he, at the end of the day, you know, they, they kicked out Chapik or Chopik, whatever the hell his name is. Iger comes back in. He immediately kicks out a couple of the other number ones. So what do you think this business is doing? What do you think they're going to do to turn Disney around? Because I know a lot of people are saying, the content got streaming the content business anymore. The, the parks are a sideshow, in my opinion. I don't think their future is not the parks. Their future is streaming. Their future is the content. 
the your future is the licensing for all that stuff, which I mean, I guess it's not necessarily, it's already a lot of their business today, but I think that's where it's all going. It's just going to, they're going to continue to gain market share. I mean, yeah, we've talked about this before. I, I mean, you take Star Wars, right? I mean, that's such a globally loved brand that there's so many different, you know, countries that are just so invested into all the different characters and storylines and they own all the rights to it. So they could splinter this thing off into a million directions. I mean, how many of these like origin stories keep popping up on, on Disney plus that are random star Wars characters or like back characters or side characters. You're like, Oh, that's kind of interesting. I mean, the biggest thing is, is it profitable? That's the hardest thing is a lot of this content. They're spending so much on the content itself. <clears throat> they're having a very hard time There's turning around and make it a profitable thing. I think what the writing on the wall probably is, is anyone that's an Apple TV subscriber just saw they're taking subscriptions from $4.99 to $6.99. This is the same thing. You know, when I signed up for YouTube TV, it used to be 30 bucks. Now it's like 75. It's like almost more <laughs> than, yep, yep, yep. than cable. It's almost more than cable. Yeah, I know. YouTube's a little disappointing in what they did with their pricing, but um no, I mean they're all gonna they're all gonna continue to like you know push the envelope on pricing, which all companies do all the time. I mean that's there's nothing new to that, but I, I think what Disney's doing right now is keeping their pricing intentionally below market or at least not above market um, to try to just continue to ramp up subscription growth. And that was Iger's plan, and that's why he, to my knowledge, he was really upset when he started toying around with the pricing of the streaming. Yep. That's the thing that really made him upset, supposedly, was that when he messed around with the pricing of the streaming and then some of the internal organizational stuff that he moved around. And then obviously the the whole uh, Reedy Creek thing rubbed him the wrong way. But the uh, the streaming stuff, the goal was to maintain a certain plan where we're ramping up and we're we're growing, we're growing, we're adding subscribers. And then everybody's there. Everybody's hooked. Everybody's got all these different stories that they're invested in, whether it's Star Wars or Marvel. I mean, same thing with Marvel. They're rolling out with a new origin story or backstory or side character every other you know month. Yep. Um, and then, I mean, they've got content in perpetuity, really. Whereas Netflix and these other services really have to go out there and you know, hate to say it, but they kind of have to be a little more creative. Yep, they have to go out there and create something that everybody really likes. Whereas these guys can take stuff that everybody already likes or there's a very big market for it and they just can tweak it a little here tweak it a little there make it slightly new change the story add a new twist to it and they can just continue to roll that stuff out so i think they're going to continue to gain market share in the streaming service and they're going to be very very tough to beat over the next 10 years and i think yep. that's the majority of their revenue where the business is going i agree i agree right on well uh on that we'll uh we'll wrap it up um everybody everybody thanks for uh listening in again sorry about the the, uh, the long delay here between episodes but again we touched on the ftx debacle um block again which we didn't really spend as much time on block but you know again same thing it's just there's contagion uh and several bankruptcies in the space going on um you know obviously touched on disney there at the end touched on general uh, our drone pal and uh inflation and interest rates kind of where we think things are heading um jack anything else you want to add to that before we wrap it up no i think it's good we'll try to get back to a regular routine here soon so more content coming soon i've actually got a couple other people i want to bring on the podcast as well so i might have some good. new voices to do some at least some different topics i like to hear some tax stuff here's some other type of strategy yeah. stuff so. it up a bit yeah absolutely so, right on man. 
All right, everyone. Cheers. Have a good one. And uh, see you next week. You got it. Adios. Jack and Sean work for Senge Advisory Group, a registered investment advisory firm. All discussions between Jack and Sean or any podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Senge Advisory Group. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. Clients of Senge Advisory Group may maintain positions and securities discussed in this podcast.